0: Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 952. I was asking about Cezura, of course, but I hesitated to tell Kilvin the full truth. I knew all too well that the master artificer did not approve of artificery being used in conjunction with any sort of weapon. While he might appreciate the craftsmanship of such a sword... He would not think well of me owning such a thing. I smiled. It isn't for a project, I said. I was just curious. During my travels, I was shown a sword that was quite serviceable and sharp. Despite this, there seemed to be proof that it was over 2,000 years old. Do you know of any metal that could avoid breaking for so long as that? Let alone keep an edge? Ah, Kilvin nodded, his expression not particularly surprised. There are such things, old magics, one could say, or old arts, now lost to us. These things are scattered through the world, marvelous devices, mysteries. There are many reliable sources that speak of the ever-burning lamp. He gestured with a broad hand at the hemispheres of glass laid out, "'On his work table. "'We even possess a handful of these things here at the university.' "'I felt my curiosity flare up. "'What sort of things?' I asked. "'Kilvin tugged his beard idly with one hand. "'I have a device devoid of any sigildry "'that seems to do nothing but consume angular momentum. "'I have four ingots of white metal lighter than water.' That I can neither melt nor mar in any way. A sheet of black glass, one side of which lacks any frictive properties at all. A piece of oddly shaped stone that maintains a temperature slightly above freezing, no matter what the heat around it. His massive shoulders shrugged. These things are mysteries. I opened my mouth, then hesitated. Would it be inappropriate for me to ask to see some of these things? Kilvin's smile was very white against the dark of his skin and his beard. It is never inappropriate to ask, Rolarkfoth, he said. A student should be curious. I would be troubled if you were indifferent to such things. The big artificer went to his large wooden desk, so strewn... "'with half-finished projects that the surface was barely visible. "'He unlocked a drawer with a key from his pocket "'and drew out two dull metal cubes slightly larger than dice. "'Many of these old things we cannot fathom or make use of,' he said, "'but some possess remarkable utility.' "'He rattled the two metal cubes as if they were dice, "'and they rang together sweetly in his hand.' We call these warding stones. He bent and set them on the floor, spaced several feet apart from each other. He touched them and spoke very softly under his breath, too quietly for me to hear. I felt a subtle change in the air. At first, I thought the room was grow. end of the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana.
1: And now, Jeremy is away. It seems that due to circumstances, uh, we cannot... Assemble a quorum of three, and yet we must soldier on.
0: Perhaps it is a curse.
1: A curse or a blessing, because now there's no one to disagree with me. <laughs> I know at best you'll be indifferent.
0: Yeah, well, you know. <laughs>
1: exactly, see?
0: <laughs> I guess I, uh, I would be a poor student, by Kilvin's description.
1: Uh, well, you know, don't sell yourself short, Jernan. I'm sure you could be a very good... Uh, uh, I'm sure you'd be good at Sigildry. You like to draw things.
0: I do like to draw things. Yeah, this is that's true.
1: basically the same as Sigildry.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, I, uh, I'll agree with that. Sure, why not? Yeah.
1: And speaking of Sigildry, boom. Excellent segue. Man, I'm good at this. Uh, <laughs> I, while reading this page, I was a little surprised at first that it's taken us this long. It's the end of book two of ostensibly a three-book uh, trilogy where we finally get the The introduction of what I think of as artifacts, uh, these unique objects that possess incredible magical powers that defy comprehension via the magic system that we've come to know and, and expect, you'd think that these things would be injected sooner. But then I was thinking about it and I went, well, okay." he mentions the ever burning lamp, which is that's been injected for a long time. That's been there since book one. And then the idea that there's these swords. So it doesn't come out of nowhere. It's just that Quoth hasn't, like, asked about them before and there's been no cause to bring them up except for Kilwin's obsession with the ever-burning lamp. Um, but I love these little things. I love these trinkets. I love the idea that there's still magic that's un- understandable. And um, they remind me of Numenera, which I will get into if you want to. You I mean, me I do not want to get into that. So I,
0: I'm not, like, a, as big a lore person as... Uh... As i'd like to be honestly but uh i'm well, i'm ready to hear the lore.
1: numenera is a is a setting is a is a you know role-playing game setting and uh in numenera it is set on our actual earth but an unfathomably long distance into the future and there have been multiple civilizations that have risen and fell risen and fallen and all of their like random artifacts are still all over the world in various stages of of repair and the conceit of the setting is that no one really understands these artifacts. And they're all like from vastly different types of technology um, empires or, or worlds or whatever. So no one really understands them. And they're indistinguishable from magic. And they all kind of work like this. It's all just like weird stuff that has weird effects. So uh, I seem to recall there's a sequence where there's like, it's like a, an orb and you throw it. And then all, like uh, it will fill the room with water. And the idea being that at some point in the far distant past, this was like a tool or an object that had some use or utility, but it's impossible to understand uh, what it was for. It's for, for when it's it really used.
0: hot in the summer and you want to go swimming, but it you could aren't be. near a lake.
1: But the whole point of the setting is that you're meant to kind of use these things ingeniously. It's meant to be a bit of a change from the magic items of Dungeons and Dragons, which are like, you know, plus five longsword. Instead, it's like, uh, you know, scarab of... Uh, I don't know, a scarab of electricity generation, even that is too, is too specific. One of the joys of Numenera is that all of the objects are like super weird and hard to understand. And it's trying to figure out how to make use of them in ways that make sense. And these are perfect examples. The things that Kilvin mentions, four ingots of white metal that cannot, you can either melt nor that are lighter than water.
0: One of them kind of sounds like dry ice. Like uh, one of the, one of the objects, the one that's like frozen all the time, d- d- no matter the temperature.
1: Well, slightly above freezing. It's not frozen. It's like oh, it's, okay. it's like two or three degrees, which is even weirder, right? If it was something that was perpetually frozen, you could maybe understand what it was for.
0: I feel like okay. If we didn't, if Mercury didn't already exist, Mercury could be on this list because <laughs> okay. Mercury is weird.
1: Mercury is weird, but they work with Mercury, right? They have Mercury and yes. the and they work with it in the. In the fishery. Um, anyway, all this is to say that Numenera actually has a Rothfuss connection, if you didn't know. I'm sure I mentioned it before, but Patrick Rothfuss wrote uh, a side quest and uh, an NPC, a party member, uh, for the video game Torment colon, Tides of Numenera, which is set in uh, the Numenera campaign setting. So I, and we I briefly
0: mentioned this last time we talked about it, but that name is absolutely derived from Numenor.
1: Maybe. There's so no he, way it's
0: not. It's so it's I'm, too close. It's way I, too close. Uh, like maybe, Numenor, Tolkien, such a big name. How could you not?
1: I guess so. I mean, you we could write Monte Cook and ask him. Uh, even sure- even if <laughs>
0: like uh even if they said like no, no, I just came up with it. I think that there's a case to be made that if they like read Lord of the Rings, they might have like subconsciously picked it up because Numenera is real close to
1: Numenor. <laughs> It is. It even has an accent in, I think, the same place. And it's like a, it's an ancient um, empire. And if you think
0: about, yeah, if you think about what Numenor is and how it kind of doesn't exist in the frame or in it kind of doesn't exist in the narrative of like the three main Lord of the Rings books. It makes sense. Like it's a lost civilization.
1: kind Yeah, of, right? yeah I can see that working. Unless, of course, you want to watch the Amazon show, which is apparently set there. If only Jeremy was here. He could tell me if it was worth watching. I think he's watched a bit of it. Uh, no interest.
0: Uh, I've
1: watched all of it. Oh, I won't have? bother.
0: Oh. I won't bother giving you my opinion because we already tried that and you didn't like it. Um, <laughs> so.
1: Was your opinion that it was good?
0: Uh, the thing is, you have to look at it in a certain way in order to enjoy it. And certain there point are point of view. Yes, indeed. Um, but like Jeff is a big Lord of the Rings lore fan. Um, he's also less picky than most people when it comes to like nerdery. Um, but he really enjoyed it despite the fact that he was like, he easily could have been like, oh, that's incorrect due to the lore of this, that, and the other thing pushes up glasses. But he like, he was like, oh, okay. I see like, that's maybe not how I would have put it, but I see that they used this, that and the other thing from the lore and they changed it in this way. And that's why they see it this way. And like, he didn't agree with everything in the show, but he still really enjoyed it.
1: Well, Jordana, I asked for your opinion, not Jeff's opinion.
0: I mean, I also really enjoyed it, but just not for the same reasons. Like, Jeff had an educated opinion on the show, whereas I just watched it and was like, this is great. It was a good time to watch it with Jeff, though, because he would then share those opinions and I would be like, wow, I had no idea that this moment on the show was actually based in something that was written in the book. I just assumed somebody made it up, which is true. Someone did make it up. But like, I like how much of it is like t- based in Tolkien's work and how much of it isn't didn't matter to me. I I just I had a good time watching the show. It was it was entertaining. Uh, I thought the design of the of the different like cultural garb was really cool. There was a lot of people who balked at the at the armor for for the Numenorians. And uh and like I, I do think that it is kind of funny to think about it. It's very unrealistic armor, but it looks cool. And just like, yeah, there was all sorts of things that I was like, this is cool. Like I don't I don't really have a problem with this, and I'm having a good time. It's a good story. It's interesting. I liked it.
1: All right, you heard it here first, folks. The Lord of the Rings show is good, actually. Watch it with a Tolkien head, and you won't be disappointed.
0: Or watch uh, it with someone who knows nothing about Tolkien. Like, I would say, don't don't watch it with a pedantic nerd. If you know a pedantic nerd, don't watch it with them. They will ruin it for
1: you. What if you are a pedantic nerd?
0: Then don't watch it. <laughs>
1: All right, yeah, we can plant the flag. I do want to say one more thing about uh, *Torment: Tides of Numenera*. I think I've said this before, but the character that Rothfuss wrote for it is very Auri-coded. I don't want—I don't know. I I could talk about the character. It's a really interesting kind of twist on RPG uh, party members because uh, she is much like Auri, a kind of uh, lost waif with uh, you know mysterious, potentially godlike potential, but. She is basically a millstone around your neck in like in like combat situations because she is a literal child. And so she fills up a slot in your party that could be taken up by combatants. But uh, if you ever send her away, you know, most of the time you can send away your party members to like hang out at the inn, uh, which is standard kind of RPG game mechanics. But if you ever try to send her away, then she like cries and, and leaves forever uh, because she's a child and she doesn't want to be abandoned again. So you're kind of stuck with her unless you want to be a pill. But if you make it through the most of the game and solve her, uh, her quest line, let's just say it uh, it pays you back tenfold. Ooh. It's cool and good, and I recommend it. Um, it's a really good game. It's interesting to, like, you can really see the Rothfuss thumbprint on, on that portion of it. And uh, all that is to say that uh, I really like all the weirdo artifacts here. Uh, I hope we get to see some more of them. I feel like as we're zooming into book three, this is kind of setting up something else, the idea that there's these weird un- incomprehensible artifacts. Uh, maybe that's setting up something that we'll learn about in Yale, or maybe that's setting up the, uh, the lackless box. It's Interesting that we spent all this time diving into the quote-unquote scientific mechanics of magic of this world, and now we're encountering things even more so than naming that defy explanation. I feel like it's setting something up, but we'll never know. At least until book three comes.
0: I was saying, we'll we'll know eventually.
1: Well, know eventually one day, maybe we should have a special episode about it, but I, I kind of want to have a conversation about like, about the delay. Um, I feel like a lot of opinions are souring on the internet and even among our own uh, fan base. Some of the, the chatter I've been seeing on the discord, uh, people seem less and less optimistic and more and more, bitter about i mean the way how Roth old is, Roth is? Uh, i mean I he's probably think- pretty old he was already like i think he was in his 40s when he was published initially because he was a he was a forever okay student. so
0: let's assume he's like in his 60s he's got like at least another 20 years before before like it's really going to be a problem. I feel like,
1: and you well, know man, what? Like I've been almost twenty years since the books were published at this. Time.
0: Yeah, you know what? If I have to wait till I'm fifty to get it, I honestly don't care.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't care. Like that's that's the thing is that I kind of don't care. I'm pleased that we got what we got. I like that we can squeeze this podcast out of it, and and we get to hang out and chat about it, and we have this little community. Like I'm okay with it. I just feel bad for office. Like he said. I I was saying, you know, we could we could do a whole episode about this. We can dive into a little bit. He said initially, like, oh, yeah, this is the prequel. Essentially, this is set up for the rest of the book set in this world. And I'm sure he has more stories to tell. But the actual (laughs) the actual mechanics of getting the book finished and published are blocking all of those things. And to me, what's the biggest tragedy is like what we could have had. You know, if he could have like Terry Pratchett the hell out of book three and just turned it out even if it was a bit of a miss, he could have kept on churning out books, but it just like didn't happen. And there's so many other factors now uh, that are probably like pressures on him.
0: I feel uh, like the great unfinished work is the tragedy of all life. Like it is the tragedy of anyone who is creative and prolific, not necessarily in their product, but in their ideas. Like if you are prolific in ideas, you will never finish everything you want to make and that's just that is the tragedy of life it is it is it's, something it's that everyone true. needs it's to the, accept
1: the tragedy of rothbus is that he will never finish anything not just everything but like I mean he finished that, two books he finished two books but it seems like he has so much more in him and it's the fact that this third book is is blocking him seems to mean that he won't or can't produce anything else it's a real tragedy it really makes me sad to think about it. and like I kind of wish he would just like stop doing streams. I wish he would just sort of, because I think also the, the need to stream the need to like communicate with his fans is harming him more than not. I think initially his communication with his fan base was a feather in his cap was like a bonus a benefit. Um, And maybe he's trying to recapture that a little bit, or maybe he feels like he has to, but I, I, if I was him, I would just say, okay, you know what? No more of this communication. It's not helpful for me. It's not helpful for you. Um, it just seems to make everyone more and more sour.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think those people should get a life.
1: <laughs> here to hear first, listeners, Jordana says you specifically need
0: to get a life. <laughs> Say, if you're sour about the third book not being available to you, go read a different book.
1: <laughs> here, hear. But uh, before you do, you should finish listening to our podcast because we'll be yes. back tomorrow with another page of um, the wait. And